up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. Oh, team, I've got some incredibly good news for you. I was just at graduation day for our local program, the University of New England, when Cheryl Nimmo and her crew over there launched the class of 2021 SRNAs out into the world, and I am so stoked for these graduates. The only thing between them and becoming CRNAs is a little celebration of knowledge we call boards. One final opportunity for success. One little multiple guess test where they'll find out if they put the time in or not. For those of you who don't work with SRNAs or physician residents often, it's easy to forget how palpable the energy is when a group of anesthesia trainees comes to the close of their program. While boards in their first days on the job are still ahead of them, along with an incredible amount of continued learning and refinement of the craft, wrapping up training is a monumental achievement where all the blood, sweat, and tears are finally worth their weight in gold. So I'm pumped for these graduates. Uh, so huge shout out to Sherry, Rob, Michelle, Nicolette, Ashley, Rich, Lynn, Jared, Denise, Emmanuel, Ben, and the other SRNAs from the class of 2021 at UNE. Y'all deserve to be stoked. Push hard through boards and enjoy being on the other side of training. It's so worth it. It's all about to pay off. All right, so I want to give a shout out to a few listeners who've reached out in the last couple of weeks. CT, Abby, Tim, Gas Passer, SRNA, T. Sherrick, and Spartan 0195. <laughs> Thank you so much for the Instagram, Facebook messages, emails, phone calls, and positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help the show gain traction and develop trust with new providers, and your feedback and stories that you share with me are just so helpful and inspiring. Because that's the thing about this podcast. It's not just the interviews and random stories that I bring you. It's everything that you bring me. You probably don't see that, any of you listening right now, but there's so much two-way communication that goes on with this thing. You shape, inspire, and guide this podcast along the way as much as I hope it shapes, inspires, and guides you. So thank you for your feedback. Thanks for reaching out. I always love hearing from you, whether you're students, RNs, CRNAs, physicians, surgeons, or even lawyers, which has also randomly happened recently in, in good ways. Don't worry. Uh, whoever you are, I'm stoked to hear from you. I appreciate your insights, your passion, your intellect, and where you're headed on your journey because that that's really what this thing is about. That's why it's called Anesthesia Guidebook. The hope is that what you find here is like what you'd find in a guidebook for a kick-ass trip, the inside scoop, the stuff you really want to know, the up-to-date, happening now, emerging evidence and techniques, along with the old stuff, the time-honored secrets of anesthesia and how to live a good life as a provider. It's all part of it. And I'm absolutely stoked to be on this journey with you. So thanks for listening and for reaching out. All right, so on with the show. This episode is coming out on August 21, 2021, but it first came out way back on September 19th, 2015. The show is on the emotional intelligence of SRNAs with Dr. Sean Collins. At the time of the interview, Dr. Collins was the nurse anesthesia program director at Western Carolina University and the interim dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences, also at WCU. 
I was super early in developing the podcast from the head of the bed and was actually still an SRNA at WCU, even though the show was published after I graduated. In the show, Dr. Collins will walk us through what emotional intelligence is and how, if harnessed, can impact your work as an anesthesia trainee and provider. I think emotional intelligence is central to human behavior, relationships, and success in whatever you're doing. It's about how we relate to one another. I love how Dr. Collins talks about getting a bird's eye view of any situation you're in and reading the emotional state of the other people around you. Exercising emotional intelligence is often about learning how to walk through your life with this third-person viewpoint of the situations you're in. It's about understanding where other people are at, where they're coming from, what their biases and goals might be, and adapting your interaction with them to get you both or a whole team of people moving in the direction you want. It's thinking about who is this person? Where are they coming from? What might their hopes, dreams, fears, or concerns be right now? How do they perceive me? Who do they think I am? Who am I for real? What's my role in this relationship? Even if it's different than what they might think it is, where am I headed? What are my goals? And how can I tailor my interaction with this individual in the context of all of this to get us both moving where we need to go? This is everyday stuff for anesthesia providers. Emotional intelligence, when harnessed, will make your interactions with patients so much better and more meaningful. It'll help you deal with surgeons, OR nurses, CSTs, hospital administrators, preceptors, your boss, your trainees and students with greater skill and efficacy. EI or emotional intelligence is like a key that unlocks an incredibly powerful supercharged tool in relationships and it will help create success for you in whatever stage of your career or for that matter, your marriage or dating relationships or business partnerships that you're in. So let me introduce you to Dr. Sean Collins and then we'll get on with it. Dr. Collins completed his master's in anesthesia at Erlanger Medical Center at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, his doctor of nursing practice degree at Rush, and his PhD in leadership at Andrews University. Dr. Collins is currently the associate dean for academic affairs and graduate studies for Loma Linda University School of Nursing, where he supports two master's programs, a PhD program, and eight clinical doctorates. He was the program director when I attended WCU and was instrumental in helping my classmates and I launch the podcast from the head of the bed, serving as our project chair and one of the co-authors of the paper we published on social media and nurse anesthesia education in the AANA Journal. Without him giving us a huge green light and a lot of support and guidance along the way from the head of the bed, and therefore this podcast would not exist. And with that, let's get to the show. Dr. Collins, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your research and your interest on emotional intelligence. Well, my interest in emotional intelligence probably first started uh, as a young CRNA. I was 25 years old, and I was doing a uh, AAA repair with a cardiothoracic surgeon who had a reputation, as, as uh, a lot of cardiothoracic surgeons do. And um, as we were getting ready to unclamp the aorta, we had started loading them up with fluid and started uh, uh, neosinephrine in anticipation of unclamping that a- the aorta. And then when the aorta was unclamped, the pressure did, in fact, fall. And 
uh, I gave a bolus of neosinephrine, and 15 seconds later, the, the surgeon looked up uh, at the slave monitor and started throwing a, a fit and, and yelling and screaming and, you know, why is this pressure so low? And I calmly responded, you know, look, this is what I've done. This is this is what I've been doing. You know, in about 30 seconds, it's not going to be a problem. And sure enough, the blood pressure came up to 110, you know, and everything was, was fine. And going forward in years after doing open hearts with this surgeon, um, never once had another issue with him. And so I thought, I started thinking about that and, and how I responded to that. And what he really wanted was me to respond in kind, which was anger, you right. know, and, and, and be confrontational. And and I think what ended up happening was because of the, the way I responded to him in um uh, not raising my voice and handling it in a calm manner. I think he probably respected that, and 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 going forward, then I didn't have any trouble with him. So that's what got me interested in emotional intelligence. And and when I was looking for a dissertation topic, you know, I thought back to that time and and thought, well, that might be an interesting thing. And I had read some stuff uh, written by Daniel Goleman, who is really considered the father of emotional intelligence. Uh-huh. And so, um, so that's how I ended up getting. Uh, uh, interested in emotional intelligence, and my research then was focused on um, emotional intelligence and nursing anesthesia students, and it was a cross-sectional. That original study was a cross-sectional study, so it looked at the students at one point in time. Uh, you had first semester at one year and then at graduation, and then we also took those ones at graduation, compared their emotional intelligence scores with uh with national certification examination scores and to see if there was any correlation right. or any predictive value of that. So briefly explain what is emotional intelligence? How is that different than cognitive intelligence or other types of t- intelligence? And what relevance does that have for SRNAs and nursing anesthesia program faculty? So emotional intelligence um, is really defined there's several definitions. It depends on who you, who's you read. You know, the one I like is by Meyer, Solovey, and Caruso. Uh, one of those guys is out of the University of New Hampshire. The other two are out of, I believe, Yale University. And they define emotional intelligence as the ability to um, process emotions, not just your own emotions, but the emotions of those around you, and understand where they're coming from and be able to take those emotions to uh, come to a positive outcome for everybody involved, not just you, but but the other person or other people on the team, for example. Um, and so that everybody has a, a positive outcome. And there are ways to do that and incorporate several different things, including communication theory um, and, uh, and awareness, self-awareness of, of yourself and others and being able to perceive what's going on around you. But then the important thing is to be able to take that and, and use that information appropriately. And the, um, the link with EI and students was very interesting because uh, using, again, Meyer, Solovey, and Caruso's ability-based model, and there are three models of emotional intelligence, to be clear. There's ability-based, trait-based, and mixed methods. Uh, Reuven Baran is really the proponent of the trait-based uh, method of emotional intelligence. And... Um, the you know there are, there are critics of all of these models, but the critics of this particular model state that it's really too close to uh, personality testing, and so it really what benefit does it add? Then 
Daniel Goleman is mixed methods, which includes trait-based and ability-based. Uh, so it's, it's and he really started this whole thing. And his test that he uses to test emotional intelligence is the EQI mm-hmm. uh, test. And then the uh, the ability-based model, which is by Meyer, Sorovi, and Crusoe, really truly look at this as an ability that can be developed. And I mean, Goleman thinks that he takes that ability component. Uh, component in his uh, mixed methods and says again that this can be learned this can be improved mm-hmm. and so it's looked at more of it as an ability something that you can improve right going back to the article that you published your research explored possible links between emotional intelligence successful matriculation from anesthesia programs and nce exam scores what did you find well we really didn't look at successful matriculation in that study um the what we looked in this study was uh, the correlation really between emotional intelligence and national certification okay. examination scores. And if you look at the the construct of uh, put, as put forth by Meyer, Slovi, and Crusoe, the ability based model, you're looking at an overall EI score. Then you have two uh, area scores, four branch scores, and eight task scores. And it sort of just flows down, you know, as it would in a diagram, you know, uh, underneath each other. So. What the, the research on emo, emotional intelligence and anesthesia students showed in terms of correlation and prediction for national certification examination scores was that the facilitating uh, branch and its, its subsequent two task scores that fall under it um, are all three predictive of national certification examination scores, which is pretty interesting because they all come from the same construct mm-hmm. in that versus having a task score in one of the other area scores. You know, but it was only the facilitating branch and its two task scores that were predictive. So um, so while overall emotional intelligence wasn't, score wasn't predictive, a certain branch of it is predictive. Now, the facilitating branch is being able to, you know, the students are good at perceiving emotions, uh-huh. not just theirs, but, but others around them. But the facilitating branch is really the ability to take those emotions and then um, use them to your benefit and to and, and that doesn't mean you know to get the upper hand on somebody that right. means to have a good outcome for everybody and uh, but interesting even though that was predictive of NCE scores anesthesia students were low in that area so what that what does that say to us I mean there's a couple of things you could look at it as well maybe we should test for this area on admissions to uh-huh. see our, take the ones that are high in the facilitating branch and, and their task scores or we can develop that in the program and right. teach them how to then use these emotions effectively. Um, and the there's another article that is getting ready to be published in the Asia Pacific Journal of Oncology Nursing about, and actually I took those first year students from that first study and then retested them in their last semester, just uh-huh. as they're getting ready to graduate, just to see if there was a change in emotional intelligence simply by transitioning through an, an anesthesia program. And there was not. There was no statistically mm-hmm. significant change in emotional intelligence just by going through an anesthesia program. So the next step then would be to in- implement training and, right. and see if that uh, affects any kind of outcome. Right, right. So, so basically what you're saying is that your research found in area the ability to understand the emotions of people around you and use that to your benefit, that if you had skills developed in that area – that was predictive of higher success rates on passing CRNA boards. But overall, nursing anesthesia students were lacking in right. that area. Right. So that's interesting. So how, so how can SRNAs develop that area and other aspects of emotional intelligence? Well, one of the, the interesting findings of that study also was uh, overall GPA 
and it was not predictive of, of NCD scores. And we've known that. I mean, that's been looked at by many other people. Um, what was interesting, though, was that the overall GPA was predictive of the facilitating scores. Huh. So, so indirectly, you could say that is it is predictive, right? You know, so um, so how do you develop emotional intelligence? The the if you look at Daniel Goleman's, obviously we talked about self awareness as being the first step, and you sort of need to be able to stop and and look and look around you, and it's sort of like the eagle method or the hawk method where you see, you think about an eagle or a hawk flying way high, right? They get uh-huh. this global perspective, you know, that we don't get. They can see a lot from that height. You know, so really just slow down and, and take the time to look around you and see what your environment is like, what's going on. Um, you know, a lot of this, again, stems from communication theory. So it's it's being an active listener, It's which be, means being engaged. You know, 80% of communication is nonverbal, mm-hmm. you know, for example. And so you and – it, and all of this takes practice. You know, you hear about these commercials about numosity or whatever right. it is, dot com. You know, where you do these brain exercises. And, it, you know, it's like any habit, you know, in our, our brain. The more you do something, that groove gets deeper and it's easier to go down that path. So it takes practice. So if you would think of a – a stoplight, for example. Uh-huh. So you have red, yellow, and green, right? So you 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 get this emotion in, in emotional input, and we are emotional beings. Humans are emotional beings. Mm-hmm. There's going to be emotional uh, um, emotions in any interaction with other people. And so you think about the stoplight. You get red. Something happens, and you, you stop. Okay, it means open your ears, close your mouth, don't say anything, because that's usually what gets you in trouble. Because the physiology of emotions, right, we get this sensory input, this emotion that's coming in, and it goes up and it goes through the amygdala first, Mm -hmm. which is our emotional center. So immediately, we get this emotional hijacking, where the amygdala causes you to have a response, whether it's anger or some other emotion, uh, before that sensory input has a chance to get to your frontal cortex where hmm. decisions are made. That's interesting. So, so that from a physiological perspective, it's, it's really, it makes sense, you know, if you talk about it from a you know, scientific background. So, um, so stop, all right, because that, that sensory input is going to get to your amygdala first. Right. And, 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 and rather than having that immediate reaction that your amygdala would cause you to have that emotional reaction, stop. Yellow is, the yellow light would be, okay, you've stopped. What are my options? And you think through what can I do here? You know, you you can you can get angry, and sometimes there's it's appropriate. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. I'm not saying that anger isn't an emotion we should have. It's just it should be used wisely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and look at your options. Uh, should I yell back at this person? Should I um, think that this person may be going through a lot at home or outside of work right. that is causing them to act this way. Maybe I maybe they just really need somebody to listen to them, you know, rather than reacting and say, you know, and and part of communication then is also reflecting. So you could if they're saying something, you could just calmly respond by saying, um, okay, well this is what I hear you saying. Mm-hmm. You may be completely off base. You may be right. And and but th- sometimes that's all they want is to be heard. Right. You know, so so the, that yellow is is sort of the caution. Okay, look at my options. Which option? Which option is I gonna, am I going to choose? Green is then take that option and go with it, and and see where it goes. You know, and um, sometimes you may get feedback from other people. For example, um, and it may be warranted. It may not. It may not be correct feedback. You know, only ten percent of it may be correct. But look for the part that is correct. And, and what can I learn from this? What can I do from it? Look at everything as a learning opportunity rather than a mistake. Right. Right. So those are those are great ideas. One bird's eye perspective. Try to think about. I mean, I imagine an sRNA or a cRNA in the OR. You know, or in pre-op, you have your task. You've got your assignments that you're focused on that you need to take care of. But 
as part of that scan of your environment, take a bigger look around and think about who are the people in the room? What's going on? What's the tone? What's the temperature of the room? Not necessarily Fahrenheit Celsius, but how are people responding? How's the surgeon acting today? Who's having a good day? Who's having a bad day? Keep a global perspective on the situation. And then your uh, suggestion of the stoplight, red, yellow, and green is phenomenal. So those are, those are good tips that people can, can take with them. How do you think emotional intelligence shapes one's career as a CRNA? Well, it's interesting. There's been a lot of research actually out there on how emotional intelligence is effective in leadership and in, in education and in the job market. You know, There's actually a study done by the uh, Air Force that looked at uh, their turnover rates for Air Force recruiters. They had these huge turnover rates for Air Force recruiters, and they thought, well, let's look at emotional intelligence. So they, they looked at what they thought uh, what components of emotional intelligence were important for that job position. And then they recruited people who were high in those areas or taught people that, that area. And their turnover rates for those positions dropped dramatically. Hmm. Um, there's also research out there that talks about the emotional intelligence of a team. So there, there's not just the emotional intelligence of an individual person, but teams have a, a, right. a, you know collective emotional intelligence. And those teams succeed more often than teams that have a lower... Do you think that's why emotional some teams focus on personality training as an element of emotional? I know, I know they're, they're distinct, but if you understand this person's kind of type A leadership, this person's detail-oriented, I mean, can, can that feed into Well, I mean, you can you can look at strengths-based leadership, you know, and that's that's a theory where you, you – uh, or even situ, situational leadership theory where you have a, a problem and you need this problem solved. And you look at the team members that you have and look what strengths do these people have and then match up the right person for that problem, you know, given the, the time, the problem, and the person, and then getting that, you know, done right. But I think emotional intelligence is not something that is just a, a situational type thing. I think it's something you can use in every situation in mm-hmm. life. I mean, it's it's uh, not just your career, but your, your family as well. Um, the the other thing that's interesting about the studies that have been done in emotional intelligence in, in career perspective is so if you think about again Goldman's model actually me not Goldman uh, Meyer Solovian Crusoe's model you know their an average score is a mean score is 100 okay one standard deviation is 15 above or 15 below mm-hmm. points below that's one standard deviation from the mean and research shows that for every increase in point in emotional intelligence that a person has increases their income by $1300 Oh wow! Yeah. So the now I'm not saying that you should go out and test yourself and go to your employer and say, <laughs> "Hey, you know, here's my emotional intelligence score. I need a raise." Yeah, yeah you know, sure. But but overall, obviously, you know, the people who have higher emotional intelligence tend to make more money. That's very interesting. Yeah. How does this information, this research, shaping decision making and training for nursing anesthesia educators? Right. Well, as we mentioned, you know. Particularly the facilitating branch, you can you can you could theoretically start training those students on um, the facilitating branch of emotional intelligence, how to use those emotions appropriately, and um, so that's one thing you could do. And, and obviously, because it, if if it truly does pan you know pan out as initial research has shown, 
that's predictive of NCE scores, then obviously we, we that's of interest to us as right. educators. Um, in terms of admissions, I know of at least one university that is already doing uh, emotional intelligence testing for admissions purposes. Uh-huh. And I know, uh, having talked with several other program administrators, that they are looking at emotional intelligence and right. using emotional intelligence as part of their admissions decisions. And and we've started looking at it. You know, it's it's a potential for us. I don't think it's going to happen this year because our, our interviews are right around the corner. But but um, but yeah, I think that that all the data that's been done. There's been tons of research done on the cognitive things of GRE, overall GPA, science GPA. Science GPA is slightly predictive. It's the only one. You know, years of acute care experience. All that stuff has been researched, and there's right. really no predictive outcome. You know, outcomes with that. You know. Um, so that's another reason I started looking at emotional intelligence, something that's non-cognitive, something that isn't necessarily related to that cognitive side of thinking, you know, right. like IQ and those kinds of things and then those numbers, you know, but but uh, but obviously we need to quantify somehow emotional intelligence. Another reason I like Meyer, Slovy and Crusoe's uh, uh, tool. That's interesting. So it has, it's got potential for selection of SRNAs for a program because of its correlation with the NCE scores. You're not officially using this at Western Carolina University, but certainly this is in the back of your mind. Certainly this is in your subjective assessment of applicants when they come to apply. How does that influence your assessment of a student when they're in an interview? Well, I think I think some of that goes on in an interview, even though it's not an official score per se on emotional intelligence. But when you ask a student, or excuse me, an applicant, for example... Tell us about a time where you have had conflict in the workplace and how mm-hmm. did you deal with that? You're really looking at their emotional intelligence when you ask that question. Right. And that's a common question, not just for interest in, entrance into an anesthesia program, but for a job interview, you know, sometimes uh-huh. because they want to know how you're going to fit in with the team. And particularly in a small program like ours where we only admit 15 students in a class, that can be extremely important to us because versus a, a program that may have 70 or 100 students in a class – you know, or even 40 or 50, you know, that, that you can sort of get lost in that and, and sort of meld into the woodwork, you know, right. you know, versus a, a small class, you know, somebody who has challenges getting along with other people, you know, it's like the old saying goes, just because you have a high IQ doesn't mean you can be successful in life. It's, it's right. about getting along with people, right. you know, um, or just because you have some initials behind your name doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Right. You know, it's the same concept, you know. So getting along with people is important. And I, and, and I think that's already – people may not know that they're really looking at emotional intelligence in, in interviews, but they are when they ask that question. Right. Interesting. Uh, is there anything else that you want folks out there to know about emotional intelligence or research or, or how this is going to influence the anesthesia community? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we've we found out a lot of good things about emotional intelligence in terms of anesthesia. We know that it's good not just in the anesthesia program, but but it's, it's been demonstrated that in the workplace it's important. And we work in teams. There's a lot of stuff on emotional intelligence in teams. And, and we, as anesthesia providers, work within a team model a lot of times. You know, not just the anesthesiologist sometimes, but but with the circulator, the surgeon, right. you know, the scrub tech, you know, and all those people in the room. And it's a team, you know. And so it's important. Um, so I think there's more research that still needs to be done with from an anesthesia perspective on the team maybe model. Um, we're also going to uh, do pre-post testing with after intervention in terms of training for emotional intelligence so uh i think that there's there's it's a ripe field yet for uh-huh. for uh, research in anesthesia and um i'm continuing down that road well that's great well thank you so much for your time i think it's it's fascinating work i think that anything that can enhance your ability to communicate more effectively to work more effectively in a team 
you know, is, is profoundly important because that's what we do. I mean, we're there for the patient. We're there to accomplish certain tasks, but we accomplish those things as a team. And each individual, what they bring to the table, whether you're uh, the OR nurse or the surgeon or the anesthesia provider, I mean, those things, all those people need to come together and be able to communicate effectively and, and work well to accomplish whatever we're doing that day. So anything that can enhance that, all the better. That's right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, y'all. John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcast? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.